0: First of all, I'm very honored to be asked by Catherine Wes to come tonight. I think I'm about uh, three times the age of most of your encounter speakers, so uh, bear with me. Uh, my memory is not what it used to be. <laughs> um, but thank many thanks indeed for inviting me. Now, I could go and sit down now, because you've actually heard my sermon or uh, my talk. You've seen it up there on the screen, haven't you? Um, those wonderful pictures of uh, creation, of uh, God's creation. And the, it looked like there was something from the blue planet there. And, uh, but did you see all those wonderful pictures of the stars? Um, we don't see those pictures, do we? Because we live with light pollution. But when King David wrote his psalm, uh, what was it? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies claim the work of His hands. That's what David saw. He didn't have light pollution. He saw that. Um, and did you notice that very bright band going across the sky? Um, you probably know that was what that was. That was the Milky Way, and the Milky Way is in fact our galaxy. Uh, but I'm, I'm drifting off. I've been told to keep to time, so bear with me. I'm going to start. Um, I'm going to start... You've had this series on apologetics. Apologetics, a little bit, sounds like an apology, doesn't it? Where you're sorry for something. But it isn't. It's the opposite. Apparently it comes from a... I looked it up, so I, I, I can't boast. But it, look, it comes from a Greek word. Something like apologia, which means a defense. Used to use used in law courts. And, and so what your series on apologetics... Are, is concerned about is the defense of the gospel to those who perhaps oppose the gospel and is what Paul did a lot of um, may I read this uh, introduction to this book by Michael Poole really I guess sets the scene for some of our concerns I mean some of the challenges facing Christians in science is perhaps twofold one it maybe is in creation and the other is in evolution. Um, I've been told to keep the time, so we've just got to stick to creation and the universe, which we'll talk about tonight. And this is what Michael Poole says. The first words on TV between two internationally known scientists lasted only 11 seconds, but it was enough to keep a century-old myth alive one asked the other whether they knew many religious scientists the other said virtually none but occasionally he'd met them and felt a bit embarrassed and then they both smiled the impression left with the viewers of that program was that the scientists who believed in god are few and far between and a bit strange well as an ex scientist myself that a bit strange maybe uh, comes home And so once again, a piece of outdated 19th century folklore, the idea that science has disproved God, was fed to the public. No wonder that some people imagine that all scientists are atheists. For reasons like this, the mass media must bear some blame. If a scientist attacks a central truth of Christianity, that is news it gets on the box. But if a scientist says something in line with the Christian beliefs, that is not news, and so the public gets a one-sided picture. The fact is that some of the greatest scientists in history have been believers in God, and the same is true today. In fact, I did see a survey not too long ago when people were asked uh, if they were Christians or not. And the general population and the scientific community had more or less exactly the same percentage who who were Christians. So... uh, Uh, And even Albert Einstein, who was not a Christian, uh, saw such simplicity and wonder in the universe which he studied that he saw some design there. Right. So we've had two passages, um, and the the denial in these programmes is very often that it is not God's handiwork we're looking at, and uh, but. Our passages tonight, and I'll just pick out those two verses. I mean, we, we read the whole passage, but Romans 120 says, "Since the creation of the world god 's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood for what has been made. And then, in Psalm 19, David declared, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands." Now the primary way clearly of knowing God is through personal encounter with Jesus by accepting his death on the cross and walking in fellowship with him and with fellow believers. But St. Paul is saying that there is another way in which God may be glimpsed through the character of his creation and this is where science can help in opening our eyes to his wonder and design. Now, a thousand years before St. Paul, King David saw the glory of God when he looked up at night sky and they say he had a clear view um, and we don't. With modern science, though, we're much more privileged than David. In his time, David would have seen the stars contained in a firmament, a dome above us, with holes in um, to let the waters which were above the firmament uh, drop through. That was a cosmology of the time. And, but modern science gives us a much more awesome view of creation uh, than David could possibly have imagined. Now, let's have a look first of all at the sky which David looked at and the sky which we look at and give ourselves an idea of the vastness of The universe around us. Now, the sun is about a million times... You're going to have to use your imagination. You're going to have to use your imagination once or twice tonight. So bear with me. You can close your eyes and start imagining. The sun is about a million times the size of the earth. Now, imagine you shrank the sun to the size... I've got a peanut here. You probably can't see it. But let us assume you shrank the sun to the size of the peanut and then you say, okay, where's the nearest star to this peanut-sized sun? Would you say it's somewhere in this church? No. Would you say it's down in the village? No. The fact of the matter is that this universe is so vast that our nearest star, peanut-sized, is somewhere in London. It's, you know, the... (coughs) Uh, the universe is a big empty space, but although that's quite remarkable, here's another remarkable bit of information: is that in our in that Milky Way galaxy you saw when you saw that bright patch across um, uh, the sky when the stars were shown, that is our galaxy, and that galaxy contains a hundred billion stars. Okay, get that 100 billion. You know what a billion is? Thousand million, um, and that is the the size of our galaxy. How do you imagine that? Use your imagination. Who can we ha- hands up? Who's been to Wells Cathedral? Quite a few of you. Right. Now, if you filled Wells Cathedral, top to bottom, end to end, side to side, with peanuts, you would get about 100 million in there. That is the size of our own galaxy. And then, there are other galaxies around, um, which uh, are not our own galaxy, and guess how many other galaxies there are? It's another hundred million. So you'd need a hundred million cathedrals the size of Wells to get all the, uh, all the stars in. It really is enormous. It really is enormous. The heavens declare the glory of God, and it's mind-blowing. um When we look at the sky, we can say with David, the heavens declare the glory of God, it's the work of his hands. Now, here's a thought, and we'll come on to it a bit later, and that is that although we may think the universe is so vast, we're almost part of that universe. And if the universe wasn't so vast, then we wouldn't be here. Uh, And the reason for that is that we're all made of elements Um, and you learn about all the elements at school and things but where are the elements made? the elements are made in stars uh, by fusion processes a big nuclear furnace, is stars and in order for those elements to be spread around the universe so that we can actually utilize them in our bodies then stars have to go through there's no point having the elements in the stars They've got to be spread around. So the star has got to reach the end of its life. It's got to explode. It's got to spread its matter all around the universe. And then other stars have got to condense and planets have got to condense. So the elements we've got here on Earth um, enable us to live as human beings. It's, this is God's factory. This universe out there, it has to be that large because otherwise we wouldn't be here. It has to be that old because... By the time you've got first and second generation stars, it takes about 14 billion years, and that's the age of the universe. There's a purpose behind it, that's what I'm saying. Okay, let's get back to my notes. I began um, doing physics myself a long time ago in 1960. At that time, uh, and since then, we have two important realizations based on discoveries which have excited Christians, as they have pointed to both a creator and a very careful designer. The first was the acceptance of the Big Bang. Who's heard of the Big Bang? Everyone, jolly good. Um, The second, which is even more amazing, was the realization that the universe is incredibly finely tuned in order to bring forth life within it. And it's to be given an erudite name, and it's called the Cosmological Anthropic principle, anthropic, cosmological because it's cosmic, anthropic because it's human principle. And it's a principle which scientists use. I mean if you want to learn more, Google it. Google anthropic principle and, and, and you'll see it's mind blowing. Uh, it says more or less that the laws of nature were deliberately set at the beginning in order to create life. Think about that. This is God's factory. Right now, a hundred years ago, much of the solar system was understood, and the Milky Way, our own galaxy, mapped. It contained fuzzy patches, which people didn't understand until a man called Edwin Hubble, in about the 1920s, um, found that these fuzzy patches were, in fact, other galaxies. And he also found that they were moving away from us; they were expanding. Uh, and as they were expanding, clearly, if you plotted back uh, you started from nothing and that is where the theory of the big bang came from and I can remember at the time Christians were very interested in this because what did what the Genesis say in the beginning God created yes there was a beginning the prevailing view at the time was the universe was in a steady state and nothing changed but Edwin Hubble's discovery, and more recently, um, other discoveries which I may just mention, uh, have pointed to the fact that, yes, there was a beginning. In the beginning, God created. Now, the other discovery was that uh, the Big Bang started off, as been calculated, a few trillion degrees centigrade, a lot of radiation around. And this radiation is still around us today. It's going through us right now. You know, radiation from the original Big Bang, 14 billion years ago, is going through us. And if you re- detune your television, you get lots of black, black and white spots on, don't you? Part of that's because your TV aerial is picking up rubbish noise, um, which is showing on your TV screen. But part of that noise level is what's called cosmic microwave background, which is a remnant of the radiation. From the Big Bang, in other words, what you're watching—only a little bit of the screen—is remnants broadcasting to you from the moment of creation, Big Bang. Amazing, isn't it? Come on, go on, relax a bit. <laughs> right now, um, take a deep breath, because when I discovered this. Um, as a physicist who'd actually worked a bit in cosmology before I moved fields, uh, I find it very exciting. This is astonishing. We should not be here. Life on this planet is a miracle, a cosmic miracle. And this has only been realized over the last 30 or 40 years. And It's a discovery of how finely tuned our universe is for the creation of life. I.e., unless the universe was so finely tuned, we n- should not be here. There are a number of examples of this. Oh, well, let me mention just one. The universe is controlled by four forces and a number of constants. Um, fundamental constants of nature, which you if you do have physics classes, you learn about. There are um, things like... Um, electric charge on the electron the masses of protons and, e- uh, and electrons and if they were set minutely differently then life would not have arisen at all let's give an example it, 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 we, we're all aware of the force of gravity if the force of gravity was a fraction larger than it is now the stars which had been formed under gravity would be small they would burn out very quickly before they had time to produce the elements of which we are consist of likewise if you go slightly the other way and that gravity was slightly weaker uh the stars would be too cool to form the uh, the elements and so it's called the goldilocks principle you know it's just right and it's not only just right it's just right it's not like just tuning an old radio this is tuning to a high degree of precision and the degree of precision is required is 1 to the power of 10 to the 60th, right, now let's have a your likelihood of winning the lottery what's the likelihood of winning the lottery 1 in 14 million let's make it easy I would say 1 in 10 million 1 in 10 million is 1 with 10 with 7 noughts after the end of it right, the, likely, the, the, um, the precision required to get our universe right is one not with 10 with 7 noughts on it but 60 knots on it that's enormous give you an example somewhere here buried away I've got a, a postage stamp I've given this illustration from these steps before but if you took that postage stamp sized piece of paper and uh, covered the whole of the United Kingdom with it and then piled it up to the height of the moon which is 240,000 miles and then said, um, on one of those pieces of paper, post pieces of paper, your name is written on it. You have one chance of finding it. That is not one in 10 to the 60th. That's only one in 10 to the 30th. You're, on, you're only part way there. In other words, it's remarkably um, precise. Is that the... Um, in other words, God, when he set up the universe, not only with the age and size to create the elements within us he also put in to the big bang those forces and constants to set up fine precision that we are here now if they were slightly different by this 1 in 10 to the power 60 we wouldn't be here okay how do we respond to this i've got to stop there because i run out of time um I'm going to read a little bit from another David Psalm, Psalm 8. When he says, uh, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? I think it seems to me, and I would suggest to you, the lesson from what we've learnt about the universe is that God is very mindful of us. He has set up the universe in one way of looking at it as a huge factory, very carefully designed in order for us to be here. So when we in some ways look at this vast universe and think we're insignificant, no we're not. We are very significant in God's planning. We are in fact, our brains are the most complicated things in the universe Um, Stars are in fact fairly simple. They're just nuclear furnaces. Um, But our brains, which God has created and has taken all this time to do, um, are the most complicated things in the universe.